Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. When I was eight years old, my father went to prison uh, for selling drugs. When I was eight and a half, I got molested by the boys in the neighborhood. And uh, I was in gangs by 10 years old. And then I started smoking pot. I started doing pills eventually. And over the years, everything got worse and worse and worse. And eventually my family did uh, an intervention on me. My guest today is named John Giorgano. He is a pioneer in science-based holistic treatment for recovery addiction. He is an author and a podcast host. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, um, my name is John Giordano. I'm a recovering addict with, uh, matter of fact, today's my anniversary, 37 years in recovery. I've been treating addicts and alcoholics and mental health clients and other addictions for approximately 35 years. Uh, I'm currently in uh, 77 medical and scientific peer-reviewed journals. I work with 25 universities, um, scientists, researchers, and clinicians. I'm also a grandmaster in the martial arts, 10th degree black belt, national karate champion, and black belt hall of fame. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. I'm a chaplain for the North Miami Police Department. Uh, I write books. Uh, one of my books I wrote was uh, A Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. It tells my life story, and it talks about how I'm from the ninth grade. I went to school up until the ninth grade, how I got molested when I was a kid. Now, my father went to jail when I was eight. He was a heroin dealer. And how my family was like a mafia type of a family. Uh, it talks about uh, uh, when my uh, one of my relatives uh, gave me my first wedding. He paid for it. And um, um, the person um, who was the caterer insulted my family member in front of the family. So the next morning he killed him because he was a hit man. So it's uh, quite an interesting story. It's how I uh, turned $300 into $45 million, uh, after I got clean and was in recovery. And I opened up a treatment center with $300. And it talks about a lot of things like that and how I became one of the leaders in the industry on in alternative medicine. And the reason why I'm on this journey is my son almost died from this. So did my wife and so did I. And I felt that there's a better way to do treatment because the way we're doing treatment today is 70 years behind the times. And what do we mean by that is 
this 28-day model that was formed in 1950 uh, and was given to Hazleton, which gave it to um, the insurance companies. Well, that was based on alcohol. And not that alcohol is not a serious drug, but when you have uh, drugs that we have today, fentanyl, car fentanyl, designer drugs, they really damage the brain. And clients need to be in treatment for longer periods of time, but at least their brain to clear up somewhat so they could adjust to um, a normalized brain. 28 days, definitely not going to cut it. It's anywhere from 60 to 90 days, depending on the severity of the illness. Now, there is a treatment program that does this, and that's the Physicians Referral Network. Those are physicians that uh, use drugs and decide to go to treatment or those who get caught and wind up in treatment. They go to treatment for 90 days, and then they have a five-year aftercare program. They have a 90% recovery rate. Today, a lot of the kids and a lot of the people that are going to treatment, they use their, their insurance card like it's a get-out-of-jail card. And uh, they go from one treatment center to another treatment center to another treatment center. They keep relapsing because they stay a week, they stay two weeks. They may stay 28 days if the insurance companies would cover it, which a lot of times they do and they don't. It all depends on the policy. And uh, they just keep hopping from treatment center to treatment center. They go to detox. Two weeks later, they come out, and they're back into another program. When they finish that program, if they finish that program, they hop around for a while and go to another program. I think if the insurance company finally figured it out that it's costing them more money to do it this way than maybe a better way, like a 90-day program, and uh, at least a year aftercare or two years of aftercare, I think that would work out of a heck of a lot better monetarily-wise for the insurance companies, but most of all for the client themselves. So what I do is alternative medicine, which is evidence-based. That's why I do all the research with all the clinicians and the scientists. I work with Dr. Blum, Kenneth Blum. He's the geneticist who found the addiction gene. Yes, there is an addiction gene. You can look it up, or alcoholic gene. Him and Ernie Noble, I believe it was in 1976, came up with it. And we had a lot of pushback. And, you know, there are other genes involved, but we're talking about the main gene, which is the DRD2 ALE1 variant gene. Now, just because you have the genetic predisposition for addiction doesn't mean you're going to become an addict because there's such a thing as epigenetics. Epigenetics means the social environment can change the gene expression. So I also work with Dr. Deborah Mash, who's a pioneer in plant medicine, and the plant medicine she works with is called Ibogaine. Ibogaine is a plant medicine from Gabron, Africa, and it was used by the Weedy tribe. The Weedy tribe used it as a rite of passage. But what happened was there was a gentleman called Howard Lutzoff, who was a heroin addict and a very heavy-duty heroin addict, um, wanted to get a new high and went to Cabron and to search out Ibogaine. He did Ibogaine, and the next morning he woke up completely detoxed with minimal um, problems and no cravings. And he said, wow, I can make money with this. 
So he opened up a treatment center in Panama. And that's where Dr. Mash came in with him. And then eventually she left him and she went to St. Kitts. And that's how him, her and I got together. And uh, I would get the clients in Miami. I would make sure that they had a 24-hour heart monitor on them, that we did the blood work and toxicology tests to see what's on board. And if they pass muster, we would bring them to the island of St. Kitts. They would get an EKG and they would get a toxicology and some more blood work to make sure that they're safe to take Ibogaine. Then my job was to um, prepare them for the journey of Ibogaine. And what Ibogaine does, it um, not only detoxes you in 24 to 36 hours, it brings you back into your childhood traumas as to make it simplistic as an adult. And you have what is known as a cathartic experience or resolution to those traumas. The clients come out, they no longer have cravings. Um, the problem that we used to have is that they think they're well, which they're not, okay, even though they don't have any cravings and minimal uh, problems with detoxing. So uh, they have to change the behavioral things that they acquired during the usage. So they need to go to therapy and treatment. What we would do is I would prepare them for their journey. They would go into a hospital uh, bed. They would have an IV in their arm in case there was any seminal events. They would have a heart monitor on their chest in case anything happens there. We would put eye shades on them and a headset on them with music to keep them in a containment field. We would then give them a test dose of the Ibogaine Okay, and in 45 minutes, if they tolerated, we would give them a full dose. And about 8, 10, 12 hours later, they would come out of this dream state, and then I would debrief them. Uh, depending if they were a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer and how the liver was functioning, denotes how long they stay in this journey. So that's the Ibogaine treatment. Now, we also, in my treatment center, which was G&G Holistic Addiction Treatment Center, which I sold in 2012, that's the um, treatment center that I started with $300 and we sold it for 40 by 45 million in 2012. And if you were to tell me that uh, years ago that this would happen, I probably would have punched you saying you're trying to make fun of me. I couldn't believe it happened, but it did. And we started from nothing. We had creditors chasing us. We had all kinds of things. And uh, little bit by slowly, my two partners, Gerald and Jerry Goldfarb, uh, we blew it up. And since we were treating people like nobody else was treating and had a high success rate, we um, did real well. And we became known all over the United States. And what we did was hyperbaric medicine. That's oxygen under pressure. And what that does, it actually heals the brain because, you know, who's going to argue that drugs don't damage the brain? So we work with that. Then we did acupuncture. It's only been around 5,000 years to help with cravings and, the, you know, straight out the energy in the body. Then we would work with nutrition, have them have, eat organic foods and natural foods. Then we gave them amino acid therapy which is the precursor for neurotransmission. We would see if they had any heavy metals on board because heavy metals 
uh, can cause a disruption in neurotransmission. So these are some of the things that we did. We, we did uh, uh, neurofeedback, biofeedback, massage therapy, because what massage does, lymphatic drainage, it helps the body get rid of the drugs on a cellular level. We did colonics to help with the lower intestines to clear them out from the drugs. We did uh, regular treatment like group, individual, family therapy, trauma therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, uh, uh, NLP. We did a, a whole host of different types of psychological therapy. And we did a whole host of things on medical therapy to make sure uh, that if you had a low thyroid, we checked that because that causes depression and anxiety. Most people don't realize these things. And your microbiome or your microbiota, that it's called, which is your gut, the flora in your gut, the bacteria, when that's out of whack, okay, you can cause all kinds of autoimmune diseases. Not only that, 90% of dopamine and serotonin is manufactured in your gut. Most people don't know that. They think it's in their brain. It's manufactured in your gut. And when it goes, what it does, what it does, it goes up your vagus nerve, the side of your head, into your brain. It deposits dopamine and serotonin. So if your gut's out of whack, your brain's going to be out of whack. And also, some of the things that go on in the gut that cause this disruption is leaky gut syndrome. H. pylori infection. Go look it up, guys. Uh, hypoglycemia, especially for uh, alcoholics, low blood sugar, causes depression and anxiety. And there's other diseases causes depression and anxiety. Close head injuries also causes uh, depression, anxiety, and behavioral problems. So there are a whole host of things that can cause depression and anxiety. And if you're prone for addiction, you're going to gravitate towards one of the substances or behaviors that cause you to try to raise your dopamine. You can have low testosterone or very high testosterone also causes uh, depression and anxiety. So as you can see, it's not just a psychological problem. Now, there are people that have trauma. We work with that also. You need a comprehensive approach to this addiction model. Now, we call it RDS, which that's what Dr. Blum coined that phrase, means reward deficiency syndrome. Now, what is that? Well, what that means is real simple, that we don't look at addiction like this is alcohol, this is drugs. We notice symptomology is different, but they all are sinking dopamine and serotonin. So would they fall under the same category? And what we do is that's what we address that lack of dopamine. We also address the medical model of it, not just the psychological model. And that's why a lot of people fail at treatment. So we also taught life skills. Some people need life skills. Some people don't, they don't know how to fill out an application. They don't know how to get a job. And then there's there are other people that have high-end jobs that don't know how to deal with the stress of these jobs. And a lot of people have spending addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction. Uh, it can go on and on and on. Um, food addiction. And people say, well, how do you know I'm an addict? Well, I'll give you a simple way. If you continue to use 
a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences, maybe you need to take a look at it. You might have a problem. So that's usually what I do. Uh, one of the, the books that I wrote is How to Beat Your Addictions and Live a Quality Life. And the way I wrote that book is I interviewed about 200 addicts, alcoholics, and people that had other behaviors and that were in recovery, not just quitting the drugs and the alcohol and the behaviors, but having a lifestyle of recovery, a healthy one. And I wanted to know what they did to maintain that. And I put that into the book. And then I interviewed about 100, 150 uh, addicts, alcoholics, people that have other behaviors. And I wanted to know what they did or what they didn't do to uh, continuously relapse. And I put that in the book. And then I put my own stuff into the book. And then some of the research papers are in the back of the book. And this, the other book that I wrote was The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. And that's the book of my life story. And the reason I wrote that is so I can give people, um, help people look at that, never give up on your dreams or your passions. Um, I, I wrote, I'm going to read from, from the back of the book uh, what I wrote. And see if this makes sense to any of you. There is one thing in this world, one special lesson, one constant, that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life. This infinite rule, which most people know but ignore, or who simply do not follow their life lessons. That is, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, the obstacles, the people that get in our way, or things that slow us down, Follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams. Never let go of your passions. And especially, never give up on yourself or a God of your understanding. I was blessed to become extremely successful. And I'd like to share my story with you. This is how my life was transformed. How I was saved from falling into the abyss of hell. And by following this one rule and learn how to have life worth living. There are no failures in life. There are only lessons. It's what you do with those lessons determines your life. And that was fantastic. Uh, and I, I've heard of the, the Ibogaine treatments, but I'm not really familiar with, with how all that works. And my limited knowledge, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think that that's been approved in the, in the United States, but um, uh, is that a, a, a hallucinogen or how does that work? Okay, it's a Schedule One drug. It's not allowed in the United States. And Dr. Mash is currently doing FDA trials right now as we speak. Uh, we're trying to move into the United States because it's a heck of a lot better than the detoxes that we have today. And we call detox centers detox, but they're not. If you look up the word detox, it means to detoxify, not to put other drugs on top of it. So what we want to do is we want to show people that that you can detox this within 24 to 36 hours. And you can have a cathartic experience about all of your traumas or most of your traumas in your life and um, come out ready for treatment. Wow. That sounds like it could be, sounds like it could be very beneficial. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing just real briefly, I'd love to hear a little bit about your childhood and, and how you got into using drugs and alcohol and, and what the recovery process was like for you. Okay. I'll make it real brief because I don't know how much time we had left. But I, um, 
My father was, uh, my family was like a mafia family. My uncle was a hitman. My father was a heroin dealer. And my other family members did other things that uh, I guess you're not supposed to do in a society. Uh, when I was eight years old, my father went to prison uh, for selling drugs. When I was eight and a half, I got molested by the boys in the neighborhood. And uh, I was in gangs by 10 years old. I was in a black gang, then I was in a Hispanic gang. I was in an Irish gang, and then I went to an Italian gang. I was in a lot of gangs. Um, I was looking to get some of my anger out because my mom, uh, I, we didn't know where, I didn't know where my father went, and my mother said he was on a sales trip. And then the kids in the neighborhood told me that my father was in jail and uh, called him a jailbird, and I was punching kids and fighting kids in the neighborhood. And I didn't fight too well, so I got beat up. Um, and then I went back to my mother when I told her, I says, they said dad's in jail. Is that true? And then she started crying and she told me yes. And that caused me never to trust women again. Um, as I got older, uh, one day I, we were driving by a karate school, one of my other gang members. And I looked up, I says, hey, I wonder how tough uh, this karate teacher is, right? And uh, we went upstairs to fight the karate teacher. Well, the class was gone and we didn't have time to do anything because I had to get home because my father got out of jail when I was 12. And this happened to when I was 14 and a half and I went to the karate school. So uh, then I told my father I wanted to join the karate class and my mother didn't want me to. My father said yes. And we went and he signed the paper stating it was okay because she had to be 15. I was only 14 and a half. So the first day of the class, they were teaching us how to I had to do falls. It was jujitsu. It wasn't karate. But I didn't know the difference. I didn't even care. I just wanted to see how tough the teacher was. That's how foolish I was at back then. Anyway, he was showing, I got us all to sit down and was showing how to block a punch. And he asked for a volunteer. And I raised my hand right away. And then um, as he was talking, I tried to sneak punch him. Uh, that wasn't a good idea, by the way. And all I, all I know is this. I winded up on the floor with uh, a foot in my chest actually in my throat, with this round face looking down at me, smiling. Well, let me tell you something. I fell in love with the martial arts. I left the gangs, and um, I wound up studying judo, jiu-jitsu, became a black belt in that, and then uh, black belt karate. And um, I became a national karate champion. Uh, in judo, I became the Metropolitan A judo champion. I funneled all my anger, all my stuff into my martial arts. And eventually when I was 20, uh, you know, uh, I never used drugs, I didn't drink, I didn't do any of that stuff because I was always busy competing and exercising and working out. And anyway, uh, I kept hearing about drugs, 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 and somebody had LSD and brought it over to my house. And I says, what is this? They said, this is acid. I said, oh, really? Let me see. So they had a little bottle, they drank the whole thing. The guy freaked out because it was five hits in one in one bottle. That means five um, journeys for five different people. And anyway, he got freaked out. And I was on a journey for about three or four days. Um, I almost killed him. For some reason, he reminded me of a frog. I don't know what that means. And I said, I think I'm going to kill you. And he says to me, oh, look at that light. And uh, he distracted me. And. I went through this for three, four days. 
And then I started smoking pot. I started doing pills eventually. And over the years, everything got worse and worse and worse. And eventually my family did uh, an intervention on me. Now I quit, uh, quit school, by the way, at, at the ninth grade. So I didn't have any education either. I had really low self-esteem, but nobody knew that, only me. And, um, you know, what you see with addicts is not what you really get. So what happened was uh, they did an intervention on me because I was really getting out of hand. And um, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, who's doing, a, who's doing an intervention on them? You know, my father was a drug dealer. Mike was a hitman. My other family members were drug dealers, uh, bank robbers. I mean, all kinds of different kinds of people. Anyway, I went to treatment. I had what I call a spiritual awakening treatment. Uh, I was very resistant, uh, very negative. I always wanted to leave. And they always would pull me back into the room and say, come on, John, talk to us. Anyway, uh, it was Christmas time. I wanted to leave. It was, uh, and uh, they said, I said, I want to go home for Christmas Eve. They said, you can't go. And I got crazy. And let me tell you, I don't know about anybody else. I didn't get angry. I got rageful. I walked into my room and I punched the door. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I, I never unpacked my luggage because I was always leaving. And um, I remember the therapist telling me, hey, John, you ever get down on your knees and pray? I said, look, I'm a Catholic, a recovery Catholic. I got calluses on my knees from praying. I was a real smart ass. I said, why? You mean God don't listen if I'm standing up or I'm in a closet or something? So he said, no, how about humility? So I don't know what happened. It struck a note inside my head, I guess. And I went to get down on my knees, and I couldn't get my first knee down. And that might sound a little silly to you, but it was a little freaky to me. And then I finally pushed my knee down. I finally pushed my other knee down. And for the first time, I prayed to I don't know what I was praying to because I didn't have a belief system anymore. And um, I asked to relieve me of this. And I tell you something, it went away. All the rage, all the anger went away. Like it never was there. And I was like, what? And then I tried to get it back and I couldn't. And that was my spiritual awakening in treatment. And there were a couple other things that happened in there that helped me to turn around and get the book, The Kid from the South Bronx Will Never Give Up, and go get them. Uh, I write the book to help motivate people to show them that you could do anything in life. Then I um, finally I went to I went to, to um, aftercare, and uh, for about a year I went to therapy. I was married. I got divorced. I wound up becoming homeless because we got divorced. She got the car, the house, everything, and my friend loaned me a room. I stayed in the room, uh, and my kids used to come. We all used to cry together, and I said, "This is recovery." This is a joke. What am I doing here? You know, but I kept going. Didn't use. And um, then I came up with a bunch of ideas and did a bunch of other things. I went back to school. Uh, I got my GED. And I went to school uh, to get my uh, certification and addiction. And as time went on, uh, eventually I had the first treatment center. And I got betrayed by my, my doctor and my therapist. And, that was a whole other issue. Then I had the second treatment center that I did, and that didn't work out because the guy I went in partners with uh, actually was the corporate raider, and uh, I didn't 
get a lawyer. You know, I was a street kid. You, you mess with me, I punch you in the face. And uh, what wind up happening is uh, I got cheated out of the second treatment center. I worked in a, um, eventually I worked in a non-for-profit uh, where we, we dealt with, you know, people that were HIV, people that had mental health disorders and substance abuse and were like eating out of garbage cans, actually. And they came into treatment. They were homeless. And uh, eventually I got out of that. And then I started my treatment center uh, with 300 bucks. And, um, and I had a spending addiction. So whatever money I made from the contract that I had in the last treatment center, I spent. And um, I have a partner, Jerry. He helped with the business part. I had another partner, Gerald, who helped with the, their um, internet. And uh, we did incredible. We were doing treatment that nobody was doing, even though we had no money, very little money, and sometimes we couldn't even make payroll. We still took people in that needed help. Um, and then eventually we sold them. That's the story. Wow, that sounds like a really incredible story, and I'm definitely going to have to uh, check out check out the book. Um, if there's anybody that's listening that's interested in finding your book, where can or I should I should say books, multiple books. Oh, they can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. You can get it everywhere. And if you want to know more about me, you can go to John, the letter J, Giordano dot com, and you'll see a bunch of television shows. And, uh, a, a bunch of uh, different lectures, uh, uh, some of the research, and on and on and on. Wow. Well, thank you for, for coming on the show today and, and sharing with us about some of the different treatment facilities that you've been involved with and different different holistic approaches that you've taken to the recovery process and telling us a little bit about your books and and just all the different things that you've done to contribute to the recovery community. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day and, and sharing with us. Hey, we're doing God's work, right? Helping to save. If I save one life, I save a whole family. Absolutely. They help save them. The addict has to save himself. All we do is guide them. Yeah. Yeah. John, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. I really do appreciate it. If you're interested in any of his books or his podcast, the links will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.